Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. Hi, this is Richard. In the past few weeks, both Google and Amazon had their fall hardware events. While Google is focused mostly on phones, Amazon's event had the usual connected home focus. And both were talking about how AI is going to transform the way we'll interact with our smart homes. The Verge's Jennifer Patsantui was at the Amazon event. So Adam and I sat down with her to get the details on Amazon's offerings and share some thoughts about our AI-laden smart home futures. We're grateful she could join us and hope you enjoy this conversation. Hey everyone, I'm Adam Justice from ConnectSense. Welcome to the Smart Home Show. My co-host Richard Gunther from the Digital Media Zone joins me again, as usual. Today we're going to look at the moves that Google and Amazon are making in the smart home. And to help us dive into all of this, we're joined by Jennifer Patterson Tui from The Verge. Welcome, Jennifer. Hi, Adam. Lovely to be here. Really excited to dive into this with you guys. Nice to have you back as a guest. It's been too long. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You may know that we typically start off each show with a random question. Not always random, usually spawned by something going on. And we just kind of had a season change recently. So I was curious, Adam, what is your favorite season of the year? I'm going to go process of elimination and I'll tell you my least favorite season, <laughs> which is winter. I live in Chicago, of course. And, uh, you know, the bad winters where it gets really cold or we get a lot of snow, not fun. In my ideal winter would be one where it snows lightly on Christmas Eve, melts on the 26th and then goes away for the rest of the winter. You chose the wrong place to live. I know. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I was born here. My family's here. You know, I'm kind of stuck with it. Although I do now have a liking for skiing and I've been doing more of that. So I just like to visit the snow. I don't want to live in it. So yeah, I would say either fall or spring. I do like, you know, we just kind of ventured into fall. And if, if it could stay in this like mid fifties for a long time, I would love it. But Usually what stinks about Chicago is we'll get very brief time of spring, very brief time of fall, and then we're like thrust into winter or super hot summer. So I would take either of those just extended. <laughs> How about you, Jennifer? Oh, well, best of all, she loved the fall for sure. <laughs> um, I've lived in all the climates and I do love the fall wherever you are. Even if you only get a week of it, which is about all we get here in South Carolina, it is delightful, especially here because you go from 90 degrees one day to 40 degrees the next day. And it's like, oh, this is so nice. <laughs> um, but I used to live in Idaho in a ski resort, so I can completely empathize with the I've had enough of the snow. <laughs> Nine months of winter is not fun, but the snow is fun, you know, for those three weeks that you actually want to play in it. Right. <laughs> um, so but the fall is just 
spectacular everywhere. You know, you can't go wrong with fall. <laughs> Richard, how about you? Yeah, I'm I'm a fall guy. I absolutely love the fall. I get so excited when it starts getting cooler. And I actually don't mind the winter too bad. Of course, I don't live in the Chicago area, so it's a little bit more temperate outside of D.C. than in Chicago around the winter months. But when that air gets crisp and the leaves start turning, and yeah, I just really get excited about the fall. And it's frustrating to me that there's just seemingly less and less of it as the years go on. All right. Well, if you want to submit a question to us to open the show, you can mark the question for us on Twitter or Mastodon with the hashtag Ask Adam and Richard, or probably the easiest one these days because social media is complicated, is to send us an email <laughs> at feedback at smarthome.fm. And we promise we're going to figure out an easier way, maybe a form or something on the website to do this in the future. Indeed. All right. Well, we wanted to talk with you about what happened at this year's Amazon event. Now, each year they have this hardware event in the fall. Kind of always just comes up on me. I, I forget about it, and then all of a sudden it's here. And Jennifer, I think you attended. You went in person, right? I did, yes. It was actually being held this year um, in D.C. at Amazon's new HQ2, which is a development in the middle of... What's that? Kind of Crystal City, Arlington. Oh, Arlington. Area. That's yeah. it. Um, right by the Pentagon. Um, so it was really easy for me to get there from here. I was a bit disappointed not to get to go to Seattle, but I, you know, just down the road really <laughs> here in, in Charleston. <laughs> um, and it was a beautiful building. They gave us a tour and it was interesting. They had a great, well, the thing that I thought was really fun was they had built a, a park in the middle of the complex for the community and the, they talked a lot about the community. But as I walked up, the first thing I saw as I approached the headquarters was this big sign that said big dogs only <laughs> just somehow for some reason that just made me chuckle it was a dog park and I guess they have a section of the park for the big dogs <laughs> um but yeah it was it was a nice place um never spent any time in Arlington myself so that was uh, fun to get to visit and was there for let's see the event started at 10 and then we had the presentation which was about an hour, and then we got to play with some of the gadgets afterwards. So um, got some hands-on time. Um, have not had a chance to try anything at home yet, though, so still still waiting to get to do some testing of some of the new, new stuff that they announced. But it was a little different because it wasn't the usual barrage, like one new product every 20 seconds, <laughs> which is what past Amazon events have been like. And it's like, ah, you come out and there's 50, 60 products. There were a number, but nothing kind of crazy no robots and no flying cameras, um, not even a peep of a flying camera. Um, <laughs> but it was all all focused very much on, as everything is these days, AI. Of course, <laughs> all the AIs. All the AIs. But yes, yeah, some hardware, some hardware. And I'm very excited. I was really quite impressed with the new Show 8, which was the sort of big, the big reveal at the beginning. And then the hub at the end, which was kind of exciting. But I know we're going to get to all of that, so I don't mean to, you know, steal our thunder here. Yeah, no, that's that's good. So let's dive into that. Um, I, you know, I'll give you some grief about not reaching out when you were in my neighborhood later. But so <laughs> <laughs> well, I know these events are hectic. It was a so. flying visit. Exactly, exactly. In and out, pretty much. <laughs> but but yeah, let's let's dive into it because there were a few 
hardware products that definitely caught my attention. And just fair warning to everybody, I try not to say her name. It's going to be impossible. We're going to end up saying her name. So please silent or mute, whatever you do to have your devices ignore you while you're listening to this. And uh, we're just going to try and talk freely. But of course, the first thing they they announced and they dove right into it was the new Echo Show 8. This is kind of their mainstay screen product. Yeah, it's the Show 8 has always sort of been my favorite of the displays. And I've written about this a lot. I'm not a huge fan of smart displays. I prefer smart speakers. I find smart displays are a little underpowered and frustrating to use. You kind of think, oh, look, touchscreen. Oh, doesn't do anything. (laughs) But this Show 8 is one of the best of the bunch. I think the 15 is nice if you've got a good spot for it. But what I really was excited about with this and I was hoping we would get was the new AZ2 processor, which means that this is a, a snappier show. So as a touchscreen, it should be faster and it also should respond more quickly, which again, the two issues that I've had with Amazon devices over the years. And it's got a redesigned look, which I wasn't that excited about. It's kind of got this kind of bulbous bottom now. Yes, bulbous is (laughs) the way to describe it for sure. (laughs) Um, I didn't really understand. I was like, why did you guys do that? Oh, the sound makes the sound better. I'm like, how does it make the sound better? (laughs) Um, I couldn't really tell in the hands-on demo, but I'll get to try it and We'll do a side-by-side with the existing one. But there was a lot of talk about better sound. It's also got really, what I liked was this new ambient experience that they call it, or adaptive experience. So when it changes what is displayed on the content, on the screen, based on how close you are. So if you're sitting on the couch and your show's over on, on the counter and you glance up, you'll be able to see a clock face or, you know, your photo, or if you ask a question to the assistant it will show the answer in a large format whereas when you get closer um, it will adapt that content and become immediately more accessible as a touch screen so you'll be able to reach out and tap what you want to do or you'll have a response based on what you've asked for something that you could touch so it's again addressing that issue I said at the beginning how they are touch screens but they don't really work like touch screens this is kind of trying to help with that. And one of the things that they've added are little widgets, quick access buttons on the top, which you, I don't think they actually talked about on the stage, but I wrote about it in my hands-on. It's a bit like the widgets on the Echo Show 15. So you can actually now tap straight in to get to what you want rather than having to do that swipe down or swipe left, which you had to do before. So it's just all around a better experience, I think. And got a lot of small quality of life improvements there, I'd say. Plus, oh, I forgot the biggest part. It's got a thread radio in it. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) So it's a Zigbee and a thread, and it's the whole device for your smart home. So it's a hub, a proper smart home hub. Okay, so it is a border router. Yeah, it's got thread and Zigbee in it. So before it didn't, it was just the 8. Just the Show 8 was just the Wi-Fi-based Bluetooth Wi-Fi sidewalk. So you had, if you wanted Zigbee or thread you needed the Echo Speaker 4th Gen, which I thought they were going to update at this event, but they didn't. That's still, I think, one of the best options because it's a speaker and I'm not a huge fan of the displays. But now you've, I think, what was the other, what is the other one that has the thread radio in it? No, sorry, that's the only one that had thread radio, the Echo 4th Gen is the only one with the thread before this event. But other devices had the Zigbee in. So the Echo Show 10 was also a smart home hub. 
um, the original Echo Show that's been discontinued that was the kind of tube one, not the very first one, but the middle one. What, mm-hmm. what was that called? I think there was the Echo Plus or something. That's it. Thank you. The Plus. That was the first one with the Zigbee radio in. So now the Echo Show 8 has a Zigbee and they added Thread. So it's a great smart home hub. Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, sidewalk, nosy wave. But this is Amazon, so <laughs> not expect it. We weren't expecting Z-Wave. <laughs> right. Not from them. And it looks like they added an option here for a kind of a weird stand too, which kind of odd, but you know, I guess if it fits the space you're going to put it in, that might make sense. Yeah, I think they've had those available before, but yes, it's to help sort of tilt it. And especially for like Zoom calls. Oh, and that's another thing they changed was the camera. They've got a much better camera and they moved the camera to the middle. So I don't know if you've ever tried using an Echo Show for a Zoom call. It's surprisingly... Not a terrible experience, but it was weird because the camera was on one side. And that whilst the shows have that sort of, they will follow you, the camera can kind of follow you and keep you in the frame. It's still kind of, it was slightly odd having the camera. You had to kind of look to the right as opposed to looking straight towards the device. And now they've moved the camera to the middle and it's a 13 megapixel camera now too. So all around lots of good upgrades and $150, which, you know, most likely you can be able to pick it up for less. And there's a Prime Day right around the corner. I'm not not sure when this is going to be released. But <laughs> if you miss Prime Day, there'll be another one soon, I'm sure. <laughs> they seem to be all the time. <laughs> Holiday sales, you know, whatever. Yes, exactly. Black Friday is coming up too. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So after they announced this, they really dove into what they were doing with AI. They have all the AIs. And they tried desperately to normalize the initialism LLM as language learning model, using it so much that it didn't even sound like that's what they were saying, because you kind of trip over those letters together. Just say it, just say learning model or language model or whatever, but whatever. So they really did beef up what's going into this stuff. And, you know, normally... We talk about AI and products and my eyes roll and it's a bunch of marketing bunk. But now we're starting to see actual generative AI and other AI tools being used in these products in really beneficial ways. Yeah, it's all it was all about the AI, that's for sure. I mean, as every event has been in the this sort of Tech-tember, tech-tocktober that we're going through here. And really, Amazon was, you know, is all in here. And we knew it was coming. Um, They'd mentioned this before. They sort of teased that this was going to happen. But this is a real kind of step change, I think, was the word that Limp used. Dave Limp, the outgoing exec for Amazon Devices and Services, who did the presentation. And I spoke to him before the event, too. And he kind of filled me in on what they're working on here. And so just to level set your amazon assistant is not about to have generative ai tomorrow this is coming slowly and it's going to be rolled out as a preview and they're trying to be careful (laughs) for (laughs) obvious reasons um with letting letting this sort of technology into our homes put some guardrails up hopefully but essentially the big change you noticed as soon as he started talking to the assistant on the stage was it sounds completely different it sounds like having a conversation with a person as opposed to a robot, which I'm somewhat 
uncomfortable, not that excited about. Um, I prefer my computer type devices to feel like computers, but Amazon's very much, people love our assistant and they want to have a relationship with it. Like this is now like having a friend in your house. And that was very much what they were pushing. And, you know, I understand, especially for aging in place. And, you know, there's been a lot of studies about loneliness and how having this type of AI generated companion can be really beneficial. But for the smart home, personally, what I'm excited about with generative AI and what they showed off is how conversational you can be with what you want it to do for you. So instead of saying, I need you to turn on the kitchen light, you can just say, hey, it's dark. I need the lights on. And it's not so much for you and I, because we're good at, I'm sure, getting, we've got used to how to speak to our smart home assistants, but for people coming into your home or your family who perhaps aren't well trained, (laughs) it's going to be a lot easier to use voice control. And one other part that I think is really interesting, and this is something we've seen with Google too, is how much easier it's going to be to set up the smart home. Because one of the things that Limp talked to me about was that how they've powered this new Alexa, sorry, I was doing so well without saying the name. Um, (laughs) I'm giving up for this one. (laughs) How they've powered it is by feeding it all the smart home APIs, like just feeding the APIs in there. So it will now know because, you know, you've set up, you've connected devices to it. um, Or if you use, if you've turned on the little toggle in your Amazon app, it knows that you have these devices in your home and it can say, okay, so... I know that you've got hue light bulbs and you have motion sensors from this company and you have these echo devices and you have these door locks. So if I say, if I just turn around and say, you know, I want you to turn off my lights every night at nine o'clock and lock all my doors and then maybe turn the lights on in the morning when you sense motion, it will just set up a routine for you or two routines. And you don't have to go into the app and program it yourself. That kind of stuff I think is going to be a big shift to make the smart home so much easier for people to use. And when that comes, I'm excited to see, you know, how efficient and how well that all is going to work. Because, you know, to date, most people use Alexa for timers and alarms. (laughs) So hopefully this will be the next step, you know, the, the, the shift. I feel like this is a kind of mega trend that's coming. You know, we saw a demo from a company called Josh AI at Cedia to do something similar where you could just tell it what you wanted it to do. And it'll be interesting to see who kind of wins the race of the best interface for that. I think something that Richard and I talked about is that you're going to need some troubleshooting steps behind it because, you know, you might say, oh, well, I wanted to do X, Y, and Z. And one of those things isn't possible or, you know, there's sort of an error to that step. But I think anything that can help people make automation easier or present ideas to them too. I think that's another big challenge here is that we're all good at figuring out what we want things to happen. But I feel like the standard person doesn't have a great idea of what's possible. And I think whoever can best show them what's possible is going to really win in this space. For sure. Yeah. And and that Josh AI stuff is interesting. I mean, I spoke with them a few months back when they first started sort of trialing their chat GPT integration. And it felt like a lot of what they were doing there was sort of leveraging the intelligence to bring in what's outside of the home because they already have really good 
voice control interface for the smart home. And that was what they were lacking was more of that kind of like, oh, you know, tell me about the news or those kind of elements. But being able to tie everything together in your home much more intuitively is a big barrier right now. And as you say, and I think one of the benefits that a company like Josh AI will have is working with a custom install company, you know, everything's well set up and right. works in theory. Whereas with an Amazon or a Google home, you've set it up yourself. If you know, and perhaps you you don't know those boundaries, you don't know what the capabilities are. And yeah, there's going to be, I can see that that could be an area we'll, we'll see sort of the assistant tripping up. Although as I understand it, the way it will work is once you've said that, it will have created that routine in your app. So then you could go in to the app and tweak it. So it's not just sort of living in the ether. You'll have the sort of capability to fine tune it. And presumably, based on the idea that the assistant has these APIs of, of all your smart home devices in its knowledge base, it will be able to say, respond to you. Okay, I can do all of this. However, I'm not going to be able to do this. Would you like me to do this instead? You know, that's hopefully how smart we're going to get. I mean, this is the big change here. We've got, I think it's generative AI is going to help us take the smart home from what is essentially home automation, remote control to actually a smart home, like a home that can respond to you and make suggestions and give you these kind of the benefit of its understanding without you having to have a degree in programming. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Which is what you kind of need right now, unfortunately. <laughs> right. But they could go wrong too. <laughs> yeah, I've always thought that where we need to go in the next phase is a more ambient intelligence to the situation as it currently exists. Like, rather than just, you know, this is what you can do, but like, this is what we're suggesting right now based on the weather outside, the current state of everything, the number of people we have in the house, like who's doing what, like all of those kinds of factors, I think will make the home actually seem smarter when it can adapt to those kind of things. For sure. And this was something I actually asked repeatedly and didn't really get an answer on was how is this going to help with context? Because that is the other part of the uh, puzzle here or the triangle you know if we have a more intelligent assistant and we have better devices that understand you know how can generative AI, ai work with the devices we have to provide context and context is as i'm sure you guys know and is so important in the smart home like you say is it rainy outside are there three people in the house or just one and the biggest challenge we've had, we have a context, obviously, is the concerns around privacy and how much data our homes are generating and who has that data. And I think that's an area that Amazon's always going to struggle with because there is a lack of trust there from consumers. But we also need more local. We need this all to run locally. And they didn't talk a lot about that. And you guys probably have more insight here in terms of how much power and how much sort of on-device processing we're going to be able to do with this type of uh, technology with LLMs and how much it's going to have to be run in the cloud and whether that's going to kind of slow this all down because that's the one thing we don't want is to make the smart home slower. Yeah. <laughs> um, we need things to run locally and fast. Um, we need it to be as fast as turning the light switch on. <laughs> so it's interesting that you mentioned that because they did bring up a couple times 
how this was going to be much faster. And they did talk about how some processing, some LLM stuff was on board. But then when you think about the examples you just gave with creating a routine or two from your voice, obviously that has to go to the cloud because it's creating that out on the cloud. But if you're controlling something, they even talked about how one of the other devices will talk about the Echo Hub was able to control some devices directly. Like the control would be from the device itself. Obviously, if it has Thread Radio on it or Zigbee Radio on it, that makes that sort of thing possible. So I think they get that. I think they understand that this time of throwing a command in the air, waiting for your assistant to process it and figure out what to do and then trigger the proper thing. People are fed up with that, that that's not good enough. Right. I think what's always going to be a challenge for Amazon particularly is they're one of the top cloud computing companies in the world. So, you know, when you have that in your toolbox, that's the hammer you're going to use as often as you can, but they're also inclined to be the best at that. So when they do go there, they're likely to succeed. So it's an interesting challenge. And probably I would bet on Google or Apple to be the best at on-device stuff. But I mean, even Google also has that toolbox of cloud and are more likely to go off device. So, you know, maybe maybe Apple is the king of that and they have the silicon chops to back that up. But um, yeah, I think it's an interesting challenge and, and something that everybody's going to offer a different balance of. Uh, so I, I want to try and get us back on the discussions of hardware because there were some other things that came out and we don't need to spend a lot of time on it, but they mentioned that there are new Echoes for kids. So the Echo Pop for kids, the two Disney branded things, one with Marvel characters, one with princesses, because of course you need the stereotypical device for a boy and the stereotypical device for a girl, right? Whatever. But Oh, they uh, were so ugly. I love <laughs> the old ones. Like the, they used to have the cute like dragons and the owls and now it's like Hulk yeah. and Cinderella. Yeah. And it's like Yeah, I was kind of I was disappointed with that with those. But they were look the, the the point to make is that they're pops. So they're not the round dots. Right. They're, the they're pops. not the so dots. It's the second sort of pop variation we've seen. Right. The new the new mini tiny Alexas. Right. Echoes. (laughs) Yeah. And I think my suggestion for anybody would be to just get a generic pop or a generic dot to stick in your kid's room because those, you don't replace that often. And, you know, the window where your kid's going to want, you know, a princess themed echo is (laughs) maybe a couple of years. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I mean, I get it, but trying to give things to, sell the parents, but I'm not crazy about it. Correct me if I'm wrong. You may know this better, but isn't it possible to set any Echo device into a kid's mode so that you do set up those guardrails and then potentially subscribe because services to their Kids Plus service to add other capabilities for them? That's right. My kids really love that because I don't even know why or 
how we've set this up or gotten into this, but there are certain commands that the lady will just say, I'm sorry, you're not allowed to give that command. And, <laughs> you know, my, my 13 year old is really a big fan of that. <laughs> yeah, you, she, they might slightly be aging out of the kids stuff there. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, you, you don't need, so the only thing you're getting really by doing this on the kids version is this extended warranty that, you know, they throw out a window Amazon, and it breaks <laughs> Amazon more places. Um, I mean, it's not like these devices really are things that kids are going to be picking up and throwing around, but I don't know. Right. Some kids might. Um, because the Kids Plus, and you, for $10 extra, you're basically getting that extra warranty and you get six months of the Kids Plus service, which I believe is about $5 a month. And that, the Kids Plus service is really good. You get tons of content, um, videos without ads, books, all sorts of stuff. So for, I mean, my kids, we had the Kids Plus. It wasn't Kids Plus then. It was called something else a few years back. But it's very useful Content-wise, you get a lot of great stuff. Uh, but you can just pay for that and put it on any Echo device. And it goes across the tablets as well, which they announced a few new kids' tablets as, at the event. And, you know, for younger kids, the Echo Fire, the, so the Fire HD tablets are really good. <laughs> um, I really like those for my kids. But we quickly graduated to iPads. But, for you know, for the few years that you can skip, keep them on the uh, the cheaper hardware um, with without all the apps and the YouTubes and the stuff, <laughs> the, the better, I would say. <laughs> right, right. Well, I mean, heck, the Fire tablet has guardrails for everybody, really, just because of how limited <laughs> yeah. a device it is, right? So yeah, that makes it a good candidate for that type of use case, I think. So for the geekier adults who want to have Alexa on their head, they announced a new version of Echo Frames. I didn't even know that they decided to keep moving this product forward. Last I remember, this was a limited release. Like you had to be approved to get access to it kind of thing. But it seems they're going all out on this. They introduced new styles. They introduced a style brand with Carrera designing some of the frames. They have prescription versions of the frames now. They have all new audio and mic and all this is yours for about $270 whenever they come out. Literally, that's kind of how they announced it. It's like, and you can sign up and we'll let you know when they're available. <laughs> I think they're cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Would you wear them on a regular basis? Yeah. I yeah. hate headphones. Ah. So yes. <laughs> I just, headphones and me don't get along. So I, I love the idea of these and I wear glasses. So to date, no one's really got the glasses thing right. Um, right. I feel like we've, you know, not regular glasses, obviously, but <laughs> these smart glasses, the killer app you know, one day with, you know, this feels something like a step in eventually they will come out with like real AR type glasses. This is sort of more of a interim product down the line. I mean, we've seen glasses from everyone and eventually you can imagine like the Facebook with Meta with its quest, it, we will end up with that all in glasses. Like, I think glasses are the future. <laughs> Yep. Um, the future of this kind of tech. That's why it's still here. That's why they're still bringing this product along, even though it's incremental 
upgrades. I think the biggest upgrade here is they actually look nice. Yes. Which in the yes. past they didn't. So that's where I'm like, ooh, I would buy a pair of these. I mean, glasses are expensive. These aren't actually that expensive comparatively. <laughs> I think they look nice from the front, from the side. It depends on the, yeah. the, the style. They're a little bulky on the side. But I understand given, you know, all the stuff they have to cram in there, why? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It is impressive. I remember my grandfather had glasses that had his hearing aid built into the arms of the glasses. And those things were really, really chunky. And the idea was that it was hiding all of that hearing aid stuff instead of having to have something behind your ear. This was way before the day where you could just throw the miracle ear in and nobody would see it. But I think in this day and age when they're able to miniaturize stuff as much as they are. This is an interesting, like you said, step. I would not get these because I just don't think it's enough yet. I don't think it's really solving any specific problem. You know, it gives me audio. Well, as we're recording, I'm using these little headphones I have from Apple and I got used to the idea of seeing people with cigarettes sticking out of their ears. So they don't bother <laughs> me anymore. But with something like this, from my perspective, that's really all you're getting is your assistant and the audio. And it just strikes me that there are easier ways of getting that than putting them on glasses frames. Now, like you said, when you're seeing stuff through your frames projected onto the lenses, I am all in. If they actually look like glasses, sign me up. Sign me up. Yeah. I want it day negative one. <laughs> Especially when it shows you who you're talking to. Yes, <laughs> please. Please. Yes, I've always maintained I'm not very good at names or remembering things. So I am in for the world where I can walk into a trade show or something and oh, yeah. the glasses will tell me who the person is, when I last saw them, you know, any facts and data I have about them, you know, their spouse's name, you know, their children's names. Like, I'm ready for that future. But privacy, oh, yes. Adam. No, uh. no. <laughs> <laughs> this is all your own contacts, though. It's just, you know, your Apple contacts. If they have their photo in your if somehow we can sync it with your phone or yeah. your Amazon contacts. But the one thing that the reason, again, I would say they have microphones built into their frames is because what else does Amazon have on you physically that your assistant, the assistant is there other than the Echo Buds. That's your only other option, right? They don't have a phone. They don't have a watch. So for someone who is fully invested in the Amazon ecosystem and this is their assistant of choice, it's probably one of the easier ways of being able to access your assistant wherever you go around your house or garden or out in the world. Um, so it makes sense from that perspective too, but I'm not sure there are that many people that are that tied to that assistant, but <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> to go back to the conversational AI conversation for a second, I do think that as AIs become more conversational, this will become more important. And this is probably why they're headed in that direction. I think we all need to rewatch the movie Her because that's the, <laughs> the reality we're headed towards in an interesting way. And it's going to seem 
I think we will all see it through new eyes now, given that some of that is starting to become real. And I know OpenAI has some things right now in this space. And, you know, it sounds like Amazon's headed there. And I think as that becomes more of a reality, I think having audio that's always listening either to what's going on around you or things you tell it will be important for that conversation and for accessing information. So I heard a conversation recently where they were talking about there's kind of a need as AI becomes more available to do that. There's kind of a need for a new device or a new form factor. There was a, a rumor that went out into the press that OpenAI was talking to Johnny Ive about what kind of device they could do or, you know, something like that. And there's a, I forget what the company's called, but they have sort of that like display pin or whatever that can reflect on your oh, hand. Oh, humane. Yes. Um, yes. That, that was on the fashion, it was a fashion week. Yes. <laughs> um, on all the models clothes. Yes. Oh, that, yeah, I see what you mean. There's new form factors for, because we're going to be using this in theory this is our future right. <laughs> of voice assistants and um, technology. Yeah. 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 So I think as we figure out the, as the AI gets better, there's going to be a lot of weird stuff thrown at the wall to see what sticks in terms of new form factors, new devices, new capabilities. I just think it's an interesting idea. You know, some people will just go audio only. Some people will have cameras and it's an interesting new frontier. Interesting choice of words. Are you saying that there's a communicator in my future <laughs> that I might be wearing? Yes, that's what that's what the human AI pin kind of looks a little bit like, <laughs> kind of chunkier. But you know, and then the Geordie glasses, right? I mean, I see this only has six hours of audio playback, so <laughs> we're gonna need uh, we're gonna need something that lasts a bit longer. <laughs> oh, the heck with yeah. the glasses! I want his updated lenses the contacts that he has in the oh, later right. films yes, right that's, in the later ones <laughs> that's the answer contact there you lenses. go yes. but we there should we probably come back to reality for our lifetime <laughs> so i know there's a bunch of other stuff and you're a little limited on time today so uh, let's talk about some of the smart home product stuff that they discussed so you know when before we started recording you were talking a little bit about some of the Blink and, and Ring stuff. So can you kind of update us on what was interesting there? Yeah. Um, so Blink and Ring are Amazon's two camera companies. Some people wonder why they have two smart home <laughs> camera companies. Well, they have a chip but... company and a camera company, <laughs> uh -huh. right? That's the difference. And that's the thing that most people don't really know. But yes, and also Blink is the kind of budget version. The price difference isn't huge between the two, but... Blink is the one you can find at Costco in like a pack of, you know, you get five cameras for $200, kind of, <laughs> maybe not quite that inexpensive. But Blink is really noteworthy because it's one of the only cameras, security cameras you can buy that runs on AA batteries. And they have, as Richard pointed out, is that they have a unique chip that they have developed that that's what sort of powers their great battery power. You can, the battery will last Two AA batteries will last for two years in an outdoor camera. Is it two or four? They say two. Your mileage two. Okay, may vary. Uh, I've, I mean, I've had blinks from the beginning. Yeah, and they do last, right? Or no? They do last pretty found? well. But, it. I mean, specifically, you're using the lithium batteries. So that's an important aspect there. And it also depends on 
the range and you know we we talked a little bit about their sync module that you connect the cameras to if it doesn't have a good connection then that's going to drain the battery a little bit more so your mileage may vary but yeah amazingly impressive battery life in those cameras yes and that means and they're small and so like you could go stick it up a tree i mean <laughs> if and you, you don't want to film the squirrels yep. <laughs> um and so they're great for that and inexpensive then they don't have a lot of bells and whistles but they are very simple security cameras and they've come out with a new sync module which is the sync module pro which was about time because their old one was very tired and not very good and you had to stick a usb stick in it and it looked weird um, if you wanted to record locally and now they've got a sort of sleeker nicer uses micro sd card so you can record locally that's the other distinction between blink and ring blink allows for local recordings ring does if you have a ring alarm pro but that's a whole separate sort of package so the sync module pro will also help it helps with battery life and it'll extend the distance which is another crucial part for a security camera if you have larger property and you want to put your camera to keep track of your chickens in their chicken coop i have only ever found one camera that will work that far at the end of my garden so i'm excited <laughs> to try this to see if it will work and um, so i can watch the possums try and get in the chicken coop that kind of stuff um or you may have a good use case for it um so <laughs> i'm excited to uh, give that a whirl i think it's a good addition to the blink camera line because that was kind of one of their weak spots was range Finally, also bringing out their extension pack, which they promised, I think, two years ago, which will, you can add another set of batteries to your existing outdoor camera, which in theory could mean you wouldn't have to change the battery for up to four years, which is quite impressive. <laughs> so we'll see how that, how that pans out. And then the Blink Outdoor 4 floodlight camera. So the Blink Outdoor 4 is their newest camera. They actually launched that a few weeks ago before this event and they just talked about it a little bit more at the event. So that's the latest camera which does add person detection which was something that they didn't have on their cameras before. And the floodlight camera is actually just, is a, a, I believe it's just the mount. So it's not a, wi a wired camera, it's a floodlight mount for the battery powered camera which means you can put it anywhere around your house Although I think you, I'm not sure if you have to wire up the floodlights or if the floodlight uses the battery power. No, because I believe it's using does, battery power as it well because okay. it has that massive base, if you remember. Right, with uh, the batteries. And yes. I, I think so that they, gives you that flexibility. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that they unfortunately took some industrial design cues from Ring on that battery operated <laughs> lamp because, wow, that is something. <laughs> I don't know that I would want that on the side of my house. Giant spider. Yeah, floodlight cameras are not attractive devices. I mean, a couple, right. there are a couple out there that do okay. Blink actually also has a wired floodlight camera. So this is the battery version. So um, I've tested the wired one and it is, it's pretty good. But yes, the floodlight cameras don't look nice. They look like, you know, mall security. and <laughs> But they do give you light. I do believe floodlight cameras are actually one of the better options for security cameras, just because you don't have to worry about batteries if, you, if you've if you got them hardwired and you get light. But yeah, they don't look good. <laughs> Unless you get one of the fancy, like the Eve, Eve one is pretty nice, which works with the HomeKit. And what's the other? Natatmo has a nice Natatmo, sort of... right. Yes, but most of them just look like giant spiders on the side of your house. Yes. All right. Well, <laughs> while we're talking about cameras, am I going to get my flying camera this year from Ring? 
Uh, nope. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I think I think the drone is done. I honestly do. I'm sad to say. With Jamie flew the drone. Jamie oh, Simonoff who left Ring, I believe. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, they. If you ask, they will say yes. It's it's in development. It's just a very difficult thing to make work in everyone's homes because everyone's home's different, and a flying camera is hard. <laughs> And that's what they tell me every time I ask. I think mirrors and ceiling fans are its nemesis um, and windows. So. <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, who knows? But I am more and more skeptical that we're ever, it's ever going to see the light of day. Although I did see it in person flying at CES last year, but in person in a very tightly controlled room right. <laughs> that they wouldn't let us in. So, and there was no furniture in. It was just a room <laughs> that it just flew around. Um, so, and they didn't let us see it land or launch. It just kind of, yeah. So I, I feel like they're a ways away and they probably at the moment have more pressing things Although uh, the concept of the drone camera is actually, as much as we like to joke about it, it is a really good concept. Yes. Because it's a camera that doesn't, that isn't always on, but can be on whenever you need it. Absolutely. And can go to where you need it. So you only need one in your house. And when you've gone away for the weekend and you are wondering if you left the stove off, you don't have to have had hooked up a camera in your kitchen, you can, you know, tell it to go and check on the stove. I mean, it's a good concept, but maybe slightly ahead of its time. And I think eventually we're going to come up with better ways to solve that problem than a flying camera. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> All right. So what are we getting from Ring? Anything? Just an update to its stick-up cam. So Ring has the outdoor camera, which is its spotlight camera and then it has its floodlight camera both of which in the last couple of years have had a pro version that add 3d motion detection which is their fancy way of saying radar which is something we're seeing coming to a lot of cameras radar detection over pir sensing because it is more reliable um, less false alerts and this is now coming to the stickap cam pro which is the difference between the stickap cam pro and the spotlight cam is no lights the stick-up cam is just a regular camera, but it can be battery-powered, solar-powered, or you can plug it in. So um, that'll have better uh, motion sensing. I think the ultimate idea here is less false alerts, less constant alerts on your phone. As anyone in the, who uses any smart home devices knows, too many alerts, too much alert fatigue, and you stop paying attention. So Ring's trying hard to find ways to kind of streamline the notifications you get. And in my experience, the radar detection that you get that we're beginning to see on smart home cameras and Ring's not the only one that's doing it is a significant improvement over PIR. It means you're less likely to get an alert just because, um, you know, a Bird flew tree by. branches. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then the other option that you see people use is video analysis, video motion sensing. And that is awful because it's anything like when the light changes you'll get an alert right so i find that yep. really doesn't work and blink so, yeah. had that problem in their earlier models for sure right yeah so this is you know the ring ring cameras are a, a good a good cameras they're a good product oh it's also the pro ring video doorbell 2 pro has the radar detection in too so this is just bringing this one up to the same specs as the rest of its line. Um, but you can still buy the non-pro version, which are a little less expensive if they don't have that. Yep. All right, and then for the trifecta of startup acquisitions, do you want to talk about Eero at all? I know that they announced that the the new Eero will have 
Fred and Zigbee in it, which was interesting. Yeah, so uh, um, I did talk to Nick Weaver, who's the CEO of Eero. He's the last man standing of all of the um, Amazon acquisitions. (laughs) Yeah, now that Jamie's left and Dave has left. So, yeah, yeah, he's uh, he's still there. But, you know, the Eero Wi-Fi 7, I mean, 7, I feel like we only just got 6. Right, (laughs) right. It never stops. (laughs) Right. But, yes, it's... uh, expensive (laughs) really big yeah so that was one of the things that was kind of frustrating to me is that the Eero devices kind of historically have been very low profile and something that you could get away with having out which I know everybody wants you to have their router out because it's better that way for the signals to get around as opposed to being stuck in a closet somewhere and the older Eero's were small, they were getting bigger and bigger with the more radios and the more antennas. And this, this is just huge. And it's a vertical form factor now. Yeah. I was like, it looks a lot like an Orby. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't smile. (laughs) Like, but what happened? But yeah, I guess it's got a lot of stuff in it. So that's good. I feel like we need <laughs> lots of tech. <laughs> we need to make some advances on getting faster internet before this really matters. Like, yeah, I mean, I have the Eero sixes or whatever that, you know, when they went to Wi-Fi six and I have the pro one. So I get like gigabit Wi-Fi now. And it's like, I don't know. Why do I need this? Like, I guess maybe better coverage. Well, the big thing is going to be well, what we saw with 6E and now we're seeing with 7 is that 7 comes with the 320 megahertz channel. So we're going to have more space in our <laughs> in our Wi-Fi, which for the smart home is good. So even if you don't have devices that take advantage of like the new 6 gigahertz spectrum, if you're on 6E or on or have an Eero 7, because obviously this has all three bands. So it has 2.4, 5 and 6. You should see speed increases and less congestion is what I understand is some of the benefits here that we're seeing. And that's why actually the 6E is still beneficial in theory in your home if you don't have devices that take advantage of 6G, of 6 gigahertz. 6E, 6 gigahertz, 7. I know, right? They're just trying to mess us up. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, and that's what Jamie, uh, not Jamie, sorry, that's what Nick was saying that you know this is the advantage for the smart home is wider bands more more megahertz so that more devices in our homes will have room to breathe less congestion and so that should keep things snappier but i think you're right ultimately if people are still getting you know 500 megabits from their isps or only just topping a gig technology is kind of overkill but when it comes to buying any kind of wi-fi router I would always say, you know, go for the best you can afford, but don't buy the newest. <laughs> right. Because in a year yes. or two, these will be a lot less expensive. So. Yeah. Well, and I feel like, I mean, I guess maybe in theory, it's good to get other devices like laptops and phones off of the 2.4, but like all your smart home devices are still primarily going to be 2.4, some high-end ones on 5, but like... I don't see smart home devices coming to some of these other bands anytime soon. We're still trying to get affordable five gigahertz Wi-Fi to put in smart home devices, let alone, you know, tri-band stuff or anything like that. Yeah, you're right. And but moving your other devices off and not being not having your 
main devices slow down because they're on the same band as as your smart home devices. I, you know, hopefully will be there'll be a benefit there speed wise. But uh, yeah, I've had I don't know. It's Wi-Fi is such a difficult part of the smart home for most people. I think especially the more and more devices you add, the more congested your network gets, the harder it is to sort of troubleshoot. I feel like there's a bigger fix that's needed rather than just trying to expand the bands. <laughs> I feel like there's a more fundamental shift we need to help with smart home connectivity, which is what one of the things we were hoping, you know, that perhaps a thread was going to address. Right. Um, and right now we're still kind of in the early stages there. But yeah, there's just too much sort of reliance on Wi-Fi in the smart home today. And that causes so many issues. And I feel like, yeah, we, we, we still need something a more fundamental change to make our connectivity in our homes more reliable. <laughs> For sure. All right. Well, I know we don't have much time with you left. So let's talk about the last hardware device that they announced. And I think that you had an opportunity to play around with this a little bit too. And that's the Echo Hub. Yes. So this I was quite excited about. Um, I have long opined about the lack of decent smart home control interfaces in the DIY smart home. Having spent time in Cedia, which I know you guys just got back from, there are a lot of great products out there that try and address this in the high-end sort of custom integrator space. That Ava Remote, I think you guys talked about a couple episodes ago, which I had seen the last Cedia, their first iteration of that, I was very excited about. And, you know, there's just nothing really like that for the DIY smart home. And the Echo... Hub is Amazon's answer to that. Um, it's a smart display specifically designed for smart home control. So it, whilst it'll do everything else any other Echo Show will do, its main function and its main sort of UI is focused around smart home control. So it's kind of like if you've ever used an iPad for your smart home control and tried to sort of shoehorn an iPad or an Android tablet into smart home control panel this is that but just designed to control your devices so it's an eight inch touchscreen and does not have a camera and it's designed to be wall mounted it's very slim but it does have a cable so unless you're going to route something through the wall it's going to have you know a cable hanging out you can table mount it too but you have to pay extra for that it's 180 dollars, and it has the same kind of experience that the echo show the new echo show has so when you're further away Versus as you get closer, when you're not near the device, it will be a clock or a photo frame. And then as you get closer, it will automatically transition to the control display, which is sounds like a small thing, but it's actually really interesting because one of the downsides of any kind of display for, tap, for controlling your home is you have to tap it once to wake it up, yep. then tap it again to get what you want. And if you're just trying to turn a light switch on, that's not a good experience. Two taps is too many. Is one tap too many? <laughs> so they use that with, um, there's no camera, so it's using um, ultrasound, I, I believe, which is what they also have on their Echo devices, the speakers for motion sensing. So as you approach, it will show your display and there are different widgets that you can control different parts of your smart home with. I think my biggest fear when I heard, when I've first heard about this was it's going to be as slow as the current smart displays are because ultimately you need a high powered device for this type of control to be responsive swiping and tapping it needs to be responsive and i didn't get a lot of time to play with it and in fact they were trying really hard not to let people touch it <laughs> they were just having 
the Amazon people touching it, but I kind of got in there and started touching. Um, and it worked pretty well. Um, <laughs> but it did, you know, if I started to try and do too much at once, it went, ah! <laughs> so it's not, you know, it's not got the processing power of an iPad or, or a Pixel tablet, um, which is the other new kind of potential smart home display that, that Google came out with. So we'll see once I get in, in my house to, to, to play around with. But the concept, I think, was good. And I did like the interface and it was it was well laid out and you can connect any device that works with Alexa to it. So which is a huge amount of devices and any matter device. It has thread on board. Um, so it's a Zigbee radio. It will control those types of devices locally. So anything that works over thread or Zigbee, Limp was saying, you know, it's like millisecond response time. Tap it and the light will turn on. I didn't obviously get to try that. Well, they, they had a demo in their room, but it, you know, Showroom demos are, are not really real life, so. Right. But yeah, what did you guys think about it? Were you were you interested? Something you'd want or not? So uh, you, I think you know this, but in my last home, I had actually mounted with a professional mount system an iPad Mini on my kitchen wall for this very purpose. This and music control really ends up being the ideal use cases. And my big frustration is that it was not dedicated. And this was before the days of widgets on the iPad. So it just didn't really do the job as well. I like the idea of a dedicated device for this. I think that that's very useful. And I, I hope that we see more things like this. But like you said, if if it's like my car display and I have to wait a second for it to get to the screen that I swiped to, that's a complete deal killer for me. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see once it's sort of hooked up and in the, in the real world how, how responsive it is. I mean, it, I did press them on what the actual kind of guts of, of the device were in terms of like the processor. And they said the only thing they would tell me is it was not the same processor as is in the show. So it does have its own internals. So it's not a show in that respect although it does do everything that, you know, you can watch TV on it if you want. <laughs> you can listen to music, although it's not really designed for that. Um, it does everything. And it has, it feels like a show. It does feel like a show when you're using it. It just has a more intuitive interface for the smart home, which sadly the show devices don't have. Their smart home interface is quite difficult to navigate and slow. Ultimately, it would be great if they brought this UI as an option to existing shows. You know, I don't think that's out of the question. It's, it's entirely possible they will. The one thing that I was really excited about, though, was the map view, which I think will be on this next year and is coming to phones. So that Alexa app, but only on iPhones that are LiDAR equipped. So that's really limited number of phones. But the map view, I think, is going to be a really interesting way of controlling smart home devices. Samsung has a similar thing, but for a kind of touch interface rather than having to swipe through and go choose a room and find the light and tap. You can just see a layout of your home and tap on the light and zoom up to brighten, zoom down to dim, turn on, off, unlock your door. I think that kind of a, an interface would be really interesting. Probably not for like everyone <laughs> because most people right. just want to turn the light on and off. But especially when you're kind of managing your smart home or trying to it feels more intuitive than a list, especially if you've ever used the Alexa app. And if you have more than like 10 devices, 
in the Alexa devices tab and you're scrolling through and it's like, which one is the right one? And so I think, I think that's an interesting UI that we're going to see come. I will, I think eventually we'll see that come to all four of the main platforms because it just seems to make a lot more sense. And pro systems as well as like really, really geeky DIY systems have been doing this for years because there are times when it does make sense. It absolutely makes sense. I think the thing that made this interesting, and you mentioned the LiDAR, is that part of making this work is that you don't have to go draw your map, that with your phone or with this tablet, then you can use its sensors to more or less map your home for you, tell it what rooms you want to include in the map, what rooms you don't want to include, and and then it'll just direct you to point it around your home and it figures out the floor plan, which is, I would want that anyway, not even to just control my home. That's amazing. Context. (laughs) (laughs) That's the context. That's what we need. Context. Yes. 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 And it'll, it would help. Yeah. I can see how it can help on many levels. So that I didn't get to play with that either. Just saw them demoing it, but it definitely, I think will be a, an interesting interface to play with and, I'm excited to try that for sure. All these little changes, I think, are just making the smart home and smart home control more accessible, which is, you know, one of its biggest issues right now. It still ended up always being on someone's phone in the house as yep. opposed to something that everyone in the house can use. And all of these sort of small, you know, from the generative AI voice assistant control, you know, for the more conversational aspects of voice assistant control to a more accessible interfaces for everyone in the house you know that was sort of a theme i felt was like just making this easier for everyone to use not just for the home it expert (laughs) (laughs) for sure all right well we're going to take a quick break for sponsorship and then we'll return with some more smart home discussion everyone says that starting a podcast is easy but let me tell you making a podcast is hard work that's where today's sponsor lightning pod comes in If you have a podcast or you want to start one, then you should check them out. They can help you with every step of the podcast production process. We've been working with Lightning Pod founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. Eric currently helps us with editing and copywriting, but he's also available to help your podcast with recording, monetization, website design, and more. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. All experience levels are welcome. So whether you're a veteran podcaster or a total newbie, you should check them out. That's lightningpod.fm. All right, we are back. And after all of that, uh, you talked about way more than I got out of that hour-long presentation that I watched. So obviously, being there, being able to see the devices and talk with folks is a big advantage. And I'm so glad that you had some time to talk with us about it. Walking away from this, what were some of your big takeaways? I have my thoughts on it, but I'm curious just like what your general perspective was on the event itself and where they're going, Jennifer. Well, it was a big... It was, you know, we talked about this a little bit at the beginning, but obviously the generative AI is really where they see the future of the assistant, the voice assistant. You know, their hardware ambitions seem to have slowed down slash faltered. I mean, we know they've had significant 
revenue issues. <laughs> um, Alexa Devices and Services Department has been losing money hand over fist and they're still trying to figure out ways to make more money and I don't think charging you to watch your slideshows on your Echo Show is the way <laughs> they're going to fix <laughs> all the problems, which we didn't mention, but there's a new photos edition of the Show 8 that you pay extra for so that it turns it into a uh, photo display without ads. <laughs> so anyway, there's lots of these little extra things they're charging for now. The Alexa Guard has now gone away and you have to pay extra for that for it has a new Alexa emergency assist so I feel like they're, they're kind of in this transition phase like trying to make th the things that they have work whilst they kind of plan for their real ambient future which they has always been the sort of push for Amazon and its Alexas is this ambient experience in your smart home where the smart home just kind of fades away but does everything you need and what's going to be really interesting now that Limp has moved on or up to space. He's gone to work for Bezos again with his blue, blue Orion. No, mm. I think that right. Interesting. Blue Origin. <laughs> That's it. Thank you. Blue Origin. Um, sorry, it's it's a it's a Monday morning. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, Panos Panay is coming over for Microsoft, who, as we know, is all about fancy, beautiful hardware. So mm -hmm. it's going to be an interesting future there to see how that hardware side of the smart home shifts with this new change in Amazon. It's a real transition period right now. And I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes. I think generative AI and the smarter voice assistant is going to be a huge benefit though for the smart home as a whole. And it's not just Amazon that's doing that. And um, we're seeing this across the board. We actually saw it with Google in its event last week, but we can touch on that here soon. What did you think? Richard, where do you see Amazon going after after this event? Yeah, the, the services push was, I'll say, painfully obvious. <laughs> Almost each device category that they talked about also discussed some either new or existing service that would augment or in some cases provide you with the capabilities you either expected or at one point had. That was hard for me to swallow a little bit. And, and I get it. I understand that they need to figure out how they're going to make some money out of this. And nagging people to buy toilet paper is not the right way, they learned. But I hope that with all of the stuff that they're adding, they come up with ways to sell those services so that they actually feel like they add value. You know, Kids Plus is probably a good example of that. I think everybody who's had that, that I've talked to, thinks it adds value to what they're getting out of these products. And otherwise, they wouldn't think of it as something they would expect to have from the product. It truly is a service as opposed to charging you for a capability. And so I, I hope that they figure that out. The other thing, and this is just me being picky because I watch these things all the time. I, I try to watch as many of these keynote events as I can when new products are announced. And this year in particular just seemed really rough. I noticed so many people tripping over their scripted presentation and many of the people on stage didn't look like they were comfortable. And 
part of what I thought about as we know that Panos is coming over here from Microsoft is how different this could be when you get a dynamic personality like him on stage, if he is going to be the person kind of heading up these presentations and bringing his his dynamic way of discussing products and engendering emotions about these products to an audience and, and to the press to some extent. I feel like these were more fun when Jamie was there. I feel like Jamie was kind of the person or the soul behind the machine that made some of this stuff cool as they brought him more and more into the fold of these. And now that's gone. And it was a bunch of scripted marketing speak that should have been on monitors behind the people they were talking to, not below them. Yeah. I really like the Panos Panay hire. I think it's a great hire for Amazon and obviously, you know, good for him personally. He just gets to move across town, you know, in Seattle and, <laughs> you know, different headquarters. But I'm hopeful that he can bring a, a better vision and some, you know, the quality of hardware at Amazon has gotten better over the years. And I actually think some of the acquisitions they made with Ring and Eero and some of those other kind of raised their game overall. But I hope he ticks it up another level and tries to take it to more of an Apple level quality because I think, yep. you know, it would be nice to to see that benefit. But also, I don't want them to lose their... I think one of the things I appreciate about Amazon is they're willing to take risks and throw stuff out there that might fail and fall on its face. But like, I think you got to keep trying things to find, you know, what will win. And I think that's something Amazon is better than like an Apple about because Apple wants to wait until it's very proven and they're they're less risky in in stuff like that. And and, and I, I hope they don't lose that part of, of what they do today. Yeah, that moonshot, they do. <laughs> I mean, we, the very first Alexa was introduced with absolutely no real concept of what it was going to be. <laughs> and look where we are, you know, 10 years later. What was so great about Alexa then and what could be great about the future here with generative AI is that innovation and like bringing it to a space that so far has been somewhat stifled or stymied. Like we haven't, the smart home hasn't really, I feel like shown its potential yet. We're still in that very nascent sort of early stage of bringing this kind of technology into our homes and turning our homes into computers. <laughs> and as pat as it sounds, and I understand, you know, this has been their line since the beginning, but turning the voice assistant into like the Star Trek computer and bringing us to that sort of vision of the future of, you know, the Jetsons or the Star Trek where our home is. I mean, it all seems very sci-fi and, and futuristic, but ultimately having a home that can genuinely like look after you or look after itself the way that our cars do today, you know, there's so much benefit that will come, I believe, with technology in our homes that we're not experiencing yet. And it still feels like a really long way away <laughs> that we're going to really have the genuinely smart home. And I feel like the type companies like Amazon who are kind of pushing the boundaries here, or at least were, I felt like, as I mentioned, this, this year was a little different, 
it was a uh, transition moment, perhaps that, you know, you've got to keep pushing the boundaries. Um, and hopefully we will get to that smart home. That is the one that we, all three of us, I think would really be excited to live in. <laughs> Maybe there are some people out there that would rather not, and would just like to live in a log cabin in the woods. Like my husband. <laughs> I want both. <laughs> A smart cabin in the woods. <laughs> Just to touch on Google for a quick moment, you know, they also had their event and they touched a little bit on smart home. How do you feel about kind of their take on generative AI and, and kind of scripting what's possible in the smart home? Well, it was a complete contrast to Amazon's. I mean, they barely—it was like an aside in the entire presentation. I mean, I understand they were launching smartphones, so it's a, a different sort of audience. But yeah, it was literally like a, a parenthetical. Oh yeah, and now you can do this with uh, Google Home. But yeah, there's some really interesting developments there. Two things that they've sort of announced. The first is the Help Me script which is part of Google's new scripting tool in Google Home, which I think, Richard, you mentioned in the notes here, why should we have to script our homes? <laughs> that is right. not the future of the smart home. That is not right. the simple smart home. Make me learn how to code. No. <laughs> um, but thankfully, this new Help Me script will let you just say what you want to do or type what you want to do into a sort of generative AI tool. And then that will spit out the code that you then paste in. I'm like, okay, that's too many steps. Yeah, but I like right. where it's going, yep. which is the same as Amazon announced for its assistant where you can just say what you want to do in your home to your assistant and it will create the routine for you. Amazon is light years ahead there. <laughs> I mean, they're the same tools, just a lot easier in theory. It sounds like it will be easier to use the Amazon version, but we will see because neither of these are live yet. But they're getting to the same goal, which is easier smart home control. And then the interesting part that they was the aside at the Pixel event for Google, which was um, last week, was that they're bringing um, BARD, so the Google's chat, GPT, LLM, generative AI version to Assistant and going to combine some of Bard's capabilities with Assistant's capabilities. And so the example they gave was that right now you have in a Google Home app, there's a, a list, a summary that shows you everything that's happened during your home. So like a package arrived at the door, um, there was a motion sensed here, that, you know, all the different things that you might happen in your home. You can see a list of right now, like an activity list. Now you, with Assistant, with Bard, you'll be able to say to Google's Assistant, you know, did any strangers come to my door yesterday? Did I receive any packages? Did the postman show up on Thursday? Like, and it will be able to pass that natural language conversation and say, yes, this is what happened. Those type of kind of interactions, again, going to make the smart home easier. Nice. And it was interesting that they just put that little tidbit in there and then moved on. <laughs> and they barely, even, I don't think they even sent a press release. But that's the beginning, I think. We're going to see all of this start to happen, all of this generative AI make our smart homes hopefully easier and more fun to use and less coding, please. <laughs> please. <laughs> Have you guys played with the script A, the Google script yet that's available? I, no. no, I literally <laughs> learned about it from this. Oh, okay. From learning about this capability that they announced. Yeah. Right. And to be clear, none of this is coming like tomorrow. This is all in the preview and yep. then probably not even in the preview till next year, but it, it is coming. <laughs> I think some sort of 
in between where it'd be great to be able to speak an automation or something that you want. And it's great to have the scripting stuff for those that want to go deeper and want to get, you know, in the weeds, but like a normal person should not have to look or do anything with that. So I think whoever finds the right balance there will definitely win. The great thing about the the new tools in the home, Google Home app that are coming is that you can do so much more. Um, so it, to be clear, this isn't just for your basic routines. You can still set all of that up in your regular Google Home app. This is for doing things like really kind of fun stuff like when you get a package at your door, flash my lights green if it was the FedEx driver or brown if it was the UPS driver or, you know, do just kind of more fun, more of the stuff that people do who are real kind of tinkerers with the smart home um, as opposed to the very sort of walled gardens that we currently have. It's not for the basic stuff. It's for the more advanced automations plus sort of stringing things together, doing more than one or two things with an automation, making it more. And that's something that you're also, we didn't talk about this, but that was one of the other things I'm really excited about with Amazon. The new assistant will let you sort of ask it to do six or seven things at once. (laughs) So, you know, oh, I want to lock my front door, turn my lights off, adjust my thermostat and set an alarm for tomorrow and also remind me to do this. And You can keep going and it will do it all for you in theory, because that's what I'm going to be doing, hopefully, for the next few months is testing all this. All right. Well, (laughs) We'll hopefully you can share your results with us. (laughs) I would love to. All right. We have no question this week, but uh, if you want to send us a question, you can do that on social media with the hashtag AskSmartHomeShow or send us an email and we'll try to pick a question to include in each show. All right. Well, again, thank you so much, Jennifer, for joining us and sharing your experience at the event and your thoughts on this. This has been a lot of fun and I hope we can do this more often. Where can people find you if they want to find out more about what you're writing and what you have to say out there? Real pleasure to be here always, as always. And if you want to read my writing, you want to read about what happened at the Amazon event and my hands-on experiences, you just head on over to theverge.com and you will find all of my work there. I'm also on the Twitter slash X. Um, JP Tui is my handle there. I'm trying out the threads too. I'm actually smart home mama on that one. I love it. <laughs> um, nice. Because I was already J- JP2E for my personal account on Instagram. So, I, you know, that kind of messed me up. But yep. <laughs> And um, yeah, all the socials. So I would love to come back and chat more about all of this in a later date. And hopefully we will, s- next time we get to chat, we'll get to have tried some of these generative AI tools in our smart home and, and see whether it really is going to make all of the differences that... Uh, I'm hoping it will. (laughs) Sounds fun. Adam, how about you? Uh, You can find me on various social networks by searching my name. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Mastodon. I'm on Threads. Or you can find everything my company is doing at ConnectSense.com. How about you, Richard? Uh, You can find me at the Digital Media Zone and on Mastodon as Richard Gunther. I am no longer on X or any of the other things. I am on Instagram as Richard W. Gunther. And I actually realized I'm spending more time in geeky Slack channels and groups than I am on social media these days, which is an interesting twist. Says something I think maybe about my perspective on social media. 
But in any event, if uh, you want to find out more about the Smart Home Show, you can go to smarthome.fm and you'll find our show notes there and details about each episode. And Smart Home, the Smart Home Show, is part of technology.fm, a collection of podcasts that includes the Home Tech Podcast, the Spoon Podcast, and my other show, Home On. And of course, if you have feedback for us, you can send that to us at feedback at smarthome.fm. Look for us wherever you get podcasts and do us a favor, leave a rating or review. That's always nice. But the most important thing is to subscribe and tell a friend about the show. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening. <laughs>